I was thinking earlier as we were worshiping, I probably shouldn't have been thinking of this, but it's an amazing amount of trust that I put in Richard back there um, because no one wants me to get up here and sing a special. Um, and yet I have this thing turned on, and I'm trusting him that he's got it on mute that whole time. <laughs> one of these days, one of these days, you guys are going to get to experience something that you wish you would have never experienced before. <laughs> um, last week, we began a sermon series um, looking at what is the church? Why do we exist? What are we supposed to be doing? And just kind of beginning some basics, um, looking at some basics of what we do here, why we exist, why we gather together as a group of believers. Um, And this morning what we're going to look at um, is we're going to look at a couple of questions. We're going to look at who are we? Why, Why is it this group of people? And then beyond that, we're going to look at another question. I'll get there in a minute. But last week, we really, we began this whole series by asking, why do we exist? And in looking at Scripture, we came to the conclusion that we exist to glorify God. For no other reason than to bring His name, honor, and praise. And I think about, as we look, we think about the church and what, that she exists for that reason. I also think about Israel and that God pulled Jacob, this guy that raised goats, pulled him out of obscurity and made him into this great nation for the exact same purpose. Made him into this great nation so that he, his name may be glorified among the other nations. And we looked at, okay, if we exist for that reason, then what should we be doing as a congregation? What is it? that the church should be actively pursuing if we are going to be focused on that purpose, on our existence of glorifying God. We talked about personal evangelism, that we as a church should be about sharing the gospel that we have been given. We have been given. That we should be about telling our story. Because each one of us has a unique purpose, a unique story that he has given us, that he has saved us out of something through his grace and radically changed our lives because there is someone else that needs to hear that story. Because your story, your unique individual experience with the Lord is going to sit or hit home with someone else. We also talked about that we need to be teaching. And we talked about that there is a commandment in Matthew 28 that we raise up disciples. That it's not enough for us to come to know the Lord. It's not enough for us just to lead people to Christ. But once they become believers, that we need to be training them. We need to be opening Scripture to them. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, that we can make disciples, not just converts. We also talked about that we need to be praying. And we're going to talk more about that today. But we talked about how that as a group, that our power as a church comes not from what we do or what activities we have, but it'll come from the Holy Spirit. It'll come from God the Father, our Creator. And the way that we tap into that is through prayer. We talked about generosity and encouragement and hospitality how we need to be interacting with each other in a way that's going to um, push us to go farther than we would have gone before. How that hospitality needs to be not just for other believers, 
but it needs to be for those outside of the church, those that maybe won't repay us. We talked about how we need to be worshiping together, that this time of corporate worship is important because it very is very much a picture of what we will be doing in heaven and that if done correctly, that it points straight to God and it allows others to see what is important in our lives and why it's important. Today, like I said, we're going to be looking at who we are. If you'll go ahead and turn to 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10, we're going to be starting in this passage, though we will not spend all of our time here, we're going to be skipping around a lot. We're going to begin by asking the question, who are we, like I said before, and we're going to, we're going to define that, but then we're going to get into some other, another question. We're going to be skipping around when we do that and kind of doing an overview of what that looks like and what that means. So if you've found Second Peter, um, it may be on the screen large enough for you to read. It may not. You know, we try. Um, but if you will stand when, once you've found it, if you're able, our habit here. Um, is becoming that we stand for the reading of God's word um, so that it may have the honor that it's due. So Second Peter chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 9, we're only, and we're just going to read 9 and 10. And it says, But you are a chosen race or people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into a marvelous light. And then verse 10, says once you were not a people but now you are god's people you had not received mercy but now you have received mercy let's pray father we just come before you this morning and we stand in awe and in reverence of our father of our creator of our savior lord we confess this morning and i first among all of these confess that there have been times that I have not been a good member of the church. That I have not taken my responsibilities to you and my responsibilities to my fellow believers, to my fellow brothers and sisters seriously. That I have not, that though I have made a commitment to be a part of this place, that I have not followed through on that commitment. Lord, I pray this morning that you would forgive me, that you would forgive us, that this morning we would listen to your word, we would be reminded of what you did for us, what you are doing for us, that we would be reminded of what it means to be a member, of the responsibilities that come along with that, of the privileges, really, that come along with that, Lord, and that we would strive to bless one another obey you in your word. pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may have a seat. Peter here is talking to the church, and throughout this chapter, as it goes on, he's, he's trying to make a picture of the unity of the body. And he's trying to establish the foundation for the church. And when he gets to this point, He's, he's, this is kind of, in some ways, the crescendo of everything that comes before it. And he gives us a purpose, and he gives us some pictures. And so, again, this verse, we're gonna, as we look at this verse, we're going to be looking at two questions in particular. 
And these two questions should be up there. The first question is, who are we as members of the church? How did we become what we are? Because we didn't just happen chance fall into this building. You didn't wake up this morning and go, you know what, I think I'll drive around town and that building looks pretty decent, so I'm going to walk inside of it and I'm just going to sit there while people sing and while this weird guy gets up and talks. That didn't happen this morning. You are here for a reason and you're here because something happened in your life to bring you to this place. The second question we're going to look at is what are the responsibilities to one another as members? Last week as we talked, we really looked at what our responsibilities and what God has commanded us as a church to be doing. So we looked at the vertical relationship of us as a church to God as a father and what he's commanded us and what we should be obeying and doing. This week we're going to be looking at more of the horizontal relationship, our relationships with one another, and what are our responsibilities to one another so that we can be the church that we need to be. So the first question that we got to, again, is who are we as members? Members of, a ch of the church are those called out of darkness and into his marvelous light, as it says in verse 9 of this passage. I think sometimes we forget this. We forget, though it seems hard to believe, or we take for granted, though it seems hard to believe, that we once were sinners, that we once were in darkness, that we were once, God called once called us enemies of him, that we were dead, that we were blind, and we were in need of salvation. That we were not part of something. Verse 10 says, you were not a people. You were an outcast. You were on your own. I think of it this way. In Madagascar, there is no there is no word in the Malagasy language for individual. I think I may have shared that with some of you before. I may have even shared it up here. But there's no word for individual in that language. And that's because the worst thing that could happen to you, the absolute unthinkable thing, is that you be kicked out of the community. Or that you think in such a way that you are only thinking in how something's going to impact you. Because everything you do there impacts everyone where you choose to plant your crops how you choose to harvest what you choose to do with that all of it impacts the community and frankly life there is hard and so if you were kicked out of the community they might as well be sentencing you to death because you are not going to be able to make it on your own Either you are going to get hurt or sick and you're not going to have anyone there to take care of you or your, your crops are going to fail and you're going to have no backup community to say, hey, I, I need some help and you're not going to have that. Something is going to happen. And so it is unthinkable. We talk about persecution all over the world. In Madagascar, the persecution is not um, usually physical. It's usually you're not going to get beat, you know, if you come to know the Lord. You're not going to get martyred. But the reality is the persecution there is that your family may disown you. And that is worse for them. 
that is worse than anything they could imagine. And so it is vitally important that they get plugged into a body of believers so that they have a community to be a part of, so they have a family. And so when I think about this verse and it says, you are not, you are not a people, I always think about my Malagasy brothers and sisters who their families have disowned them, they've been cast away, and they're, they're alone, they have no support system. And I think how that is a picture of us a picture of us before we name, came to know Christ. Another idea or vision that comes into my head when I talk about this is thinking about a man alone on an island. He has no water, he has no food, he has no way to signal anyone, he's deserted. He has no hope. And that's the exact state that we found ourselves in at some point in our lives. And yet this verse reminds us that if we are a member of the church, if we are a believer, that is no longer the state we find ourselves in. And this is the very gospel that we can, we can proclaim. Who are we? We were once on our own. We were this people that were abandoned. But now this verse tells us that we are his. We are a people for his possession. We are God's people we have been found. You can go to that second point. You were, you were right on. We were, it also tells us that we had no mercy. We were under the condemnation of God. You see, the truth is, and I know that you guys know this, but maybe someone here doesn't, but we were under condemnation. We were under judgment because of our sin. We chose to do something that was against the law of God and it separated us from him because he is a holy God, he is a righteous God and he cannot put up with sin. The Bible says he cannot even look upon it. And so we were separated from our creator, we were separated from our father. We were separated from the lover of our soul because of our own actions and there was nothing that we could do for him. There was no hope for us. We're like that man on the island that is just waiting to die because he knows there is no chance of rescue and there is no chance of survival. And so we found ourselves in that state, and there is no mercy because we have a holy God that wants justice. And that's good. That's part of who he is. And yet, in his compassion, it says, he, at the end of that verse, as we, as we go back to 10, it says, you had not received mercy, but now you had received mercy. So we didn't stay in this point, but rather Christ saw us in that state. He saw us alone on that island without hope, without a chance of rescue, and he came to us and he gave us mercy. We are now not under condemnation. We now have received something greater. We're under grace. And this should be exciting. This should be something that we proclaim from the rooftops. It says he called us out of, out of darkness into his marvelous light. But right before that, it says, <clears throat> you were called out, or sorry, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of that darkness. I think about our worship when I think about this. I think about how um, a lot of churches that I've visited, a lot of places that I've been, um, when you worship with them, 
it, it's like you're being with a bunch of people that are being beaten and tortured to come to church. You look out and they don't move, they don't smile, they don't cry, they just stand there. And it's like they would rather be anywhere but here. And I think about how heartbreaking that is. Because you have been rescued. If you were on that stranded island, if that was you, and someone came in a ship or a boat and said, hey, my friend, you need to come with me. You're going to die out here. You would jump on that boat. You would hug them. You would kiss them, hopefully on the cheek. You would embrace them, and the whole ride home, you would either be eating, drinking, or telling them, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And when you got back, you would not forget them. When you got back to the mainland and established your life again and were living in this blessing that you had been given, you would not forget that person that had rescued you. And when you saw them on the street, you would not look the other way and think, oh, yeah, I remember that guy. No, you would run up to him and be like, thank you again. Thank you for coming by in that boat. Thank you for being my friend. Thank you for not ignoring me. And yet, we do that all the time with the one that saved our souls. We had no hope. We had no mercy. We were not a people. And now we have it all. We have it all. And yet so often in our worship, not only on Sunday morning, but in our worship daily, in our thought life daily, we give him no honor. We give him no glory. We give him no thanks. We have somehow lost the joy of our salvation. And we just kind of stumble through life one foot in front of the other. And so I challenge you this morning as you think about who we are as a member, don't forget the gospel. Don't forget this point of where you were and where you are now. Because it will drive you to do everything that comes after this. It will help you to focus on the Lord when it's not easy to do that. It will remind you that when you had no hope of salvation, that he was your hope. That he gave you life. So who are we? How do we answer that question? We are a collection of people saved by God for the purpose of glorifying him. Reading verse 9 again, just to kind of bring that home. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. It is no accident. It is no happen chance that you are a member of the church. It is because of his choice that you have been brought in. It is because he has offered you grace. It is because you, by his grace, were able to ask for repentance, ask for forgiveness of your sins, turn away from those sins, follow him, make him Lord and Savior of your life. And when you did that, when you were baptized into the faith by the Holy Spirit, and then symbolically by the water, when you
you became a member of his church globally and a member of the local church. And with that comes some amazing things. One, you are no longer a lost person. You are no longer aimlessly walking around. You are no longer an orphan, but rather you have been adopted as a son or daughter of the king. And there is no greater honor than that. But as a son or daughter, you've also been brought into a family. And with family comes responsibility. I think about I think about my own family and I think about the responsibilities that come with that. I know that if my sister called me tomorrow and said, Hey Brian, we really need you to come down. Something has happened at the house and we need you to come fix it. If I were to consistently say no to that request, it would not take long for my sister to be at my front doorstep. She would be knocking on my door going, I don't know who you think you are, but you're part of this family, and when we need help, we help one another. And you are not doing that, and I am here to kick you very hard in a place that you do not want to be kicked. She will not she will undoubtedly remind me of my responsibility to the family, probably quicker than even mom and dad will. And we as a family have that same responsibility. We have certain things that we've been asked to do. And so this verse reminds us, not only have we been called from light to dark, or from dark to light, not only have we been made a people, but a key point here is now you are God's people. One key point in this verse, and really the whole of the New Testament, is that there is no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. There is no such thing as someone who goes out and just lives their life without community. In fact, there are many things in Scripture, many commandments in the New Testament that cannot be fulfilled unless you are part of a body, unless you are part of a community of believers. You just can't do them. You can't hold another person accountable if you are not here. You can't worship corporately. You can't pray for one another. You can't do any of that unless you are part of the local church. You can't pray for other people if you're never around other people because you have no idea what they're thinking. I think of hermits and you read in the first and second century these guys that go away to caves and they live in caves or deserts for years on end so that they can focus on God. That is great. I understand their, their desire to be alone with God and to focus on who he is. And there are times in our life when we need to do that. There are times that we need to go to the desert so that we can be one-on-one with God. But to live 20 or 30 years there, no. You can't do that. You can't live your life only about yourself because that's not the way that the church is pictured in in the Bible it's not the way that the commandments that you've been given work in fact the new the church is compared to several things in the New Testament it's compared to a body first Corinthians chapter 12 we looked at that the first Sunday that I was here We're a body, we're interconnected. When one person hurts, we all hurt. When we celebrate, we all celebrate. We all have different gifts. We all have different talents. We all have different personalities and all those linked together. 
We have the temple, 1 Timothy 3.15. If you take one stone away, the whole thing falls apart. We have the priesthood, Revelation 1, 5 through 6. We serve one another through the priesthood. We go before the Father as a priest to our brother and sister. We are people, Romans 9, 25 through 26, and this passage we just looked at. We're a nation, 1 Peter 2, and not 2, 9. We're a family, 2 Corinthians 6, 12 through 18. All of those things have responsibilities. All of those things come with blessings. If your body starts doing things that it shouldn't be, if your cells start rebelling, that's cancer. If you take away certain pieces or really any piece of a building, it begins to crumble. If you stop serving one another as priests, then there is no go-between for the harvest. You begin taking people away and people start scattering and they're not unified in one goal. Same for a nation. And if you begin deserting your family, then you don't have that support system when you need it. And they don't have And so the Bible makes it clear through all these descriptions that it's not when you become a Christian, you are on your own. It's when you become a Christian, you are bonded to other brothers and sisters in Christ in a way that can't be broken and shouldn't be broken and shouldn't be neglected. So we're going to have to do this quickly, but what are those responsibilities? The first one is we gather. We gather and we participate. 1 Corinthians, Acts 2, most of the New Testament paints a pretty clear picture that the disciples were gathering. Sometimes daily they were gathering to hear the word and to worship and to encourage one another. We don't do it daily. We probably should. (laughs) Maybe not in this setting, but certainly in our homes. We should be gathering as individuals, as, as couples, as families. Hebrews 10.25 says, Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the days drawing near. None of us would doubt that the day is drawing closer and closer. We need to be encouraging one another. We can't do that unless you are here. Sadly, you're preaching the message, and the people that need to hear it aren't here. But you have to be here. You have to participate. It's not enough to show up and just sit. You have to be committed to being a part of the family. If I just went to family reunions, if I just went to Christmas and Easter, but I did not interact with my family, if I did not participate in family activities the rest of the year, that would not go well for me. It would not make me a part of the family. I would still be a member, but it would not make me a part of it. And there's a difference. And if you are like most churches, and I'm guessing we probably are, there are people here that were just attending, but were not part of something. We're not participating. We want to encourage you, and we need you us. We can't do this alone. We can't lift that box. We can't bear that burden. We can't, but we can't do any of it unless we're together. The second thing is accountability. 
Matthew 18, 15 through 17, 1 Corinthians 5, 12 through 13, James 5, 16, 19 through 20. All of these paint a picture of accountability in the body of Christ. Matthew 18, many of you probably know, is that's about church discipline. 1 Corinthians is also about church discipline. And that discipline is not meant to be harsh. It's not meant to come from a heart of, oh my gosh, I can't believe you did that. It's meant to come from a heart of, man, I love you. I really, you're my brother, you're my sister, and you are doing something that is hurting yourself. How can I help you? How can I restore you? How can I bring you back to the family? I've had brothers in Christ who I've seen go down roads, and I'm like, what are they doing? And I'm afraid to say, I'm ashamed to say that there have been times in my life as an immature believer that I have walked my, saw my brother walking down a road that led straight away from the cross, and I have sat there and watched and done nothing. And many of those brothers have never come back. They have never fully been restored because no one pursued them. We need to be about that. James, I'm going to read James 19 real quick. Um, it says 5, 19, it says, Brothers, if any of you wanders back from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know who that whoever brings it back, a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. We have a responsibility not to ignore when a brother or sister wanders. Just like I have a responsibility to my sister when I see her doing something that goes against what our family normally does or I see her pulling back from family activities, I have a responsibility to go to her and say, what's going on? I love you. I miss you. You miss Easter. What, what's going on with you? It's okay to do that. We get stuck in, sometimes I think we get stuck in this whole thing about we don't judge one another. And that's true. There's a hypocrisy in that. We've got to be careful of that. But there's a responsibility to make sure that if you see someone else who's struggling, that we go get them. Next one. Identify and submit to authority. This was actually one that I've become a big fan of now. Um, that was a joke. Um, I know. We're serious topic, and I throw a joke in there, and it's like a curveball. Um, but identify and submit to authority. First and foremost, obviously, we submit to Christ. Ephesians 5.24 he is the head of the body. Everything we do funnels into him, and we go where he tells us to. No questions there. But secondly, we're also to be identifying as a body of believers leadership for the local church. Acts 6, 2 through 6 is where they members gather together, and they identify men among them who were spirit-filled to be deacons, to be servants. We're... To be about this process. Timothy 1, First Timothy, we get a picture of how we're to identify these guys. How we're to identify these people so that they can be leaders, so they can help us find direction. And then we're supposed to submit. Once we've identified those people, once we've put those men in place, then we are to submit as a local ch church to their leadership. Hebrews 13, 17. It, it talks about how you need 
to submit to your leadership so that they're basically paraphrasing their life's not miserable. As a pastor, I will be held accountable at some point. I will be held accountable for how I shepherd this flock. I will be held accountable for what I teach from up here. I will be held accountable about how I interacted with you and how I shepherd you, how I discipled you. And so this verse reminds you all of that and says, hey, submit to leadership. And so we can't do that if we're not here. We can't do that if we're not taking our life or if we're not taking our Christian life seriously. Next one, we care for one another. We'll get to it at the end. 1 Corinthians 12, 25. Acts 2, 44-47. goes back to what we've talked about a lot. We've talked about encouragement, generosity, hospitality. We need to be identifying those that are hurting. We need to be identifying those that are struggling. We need to be running to them. We need to be lifting them up. The last one, we pray for one another. James 5, 13-18. I think I'm already there. If any one of you is suffering, let him pray. Is anyone cheerful, let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick, let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man of a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. This is going to be vital for who we are as a congregation. The commitment that we make to prayer for one another, and the commitment that we make to prayer for this nation and this community is going to be vital for how effective we are as a church. That's why Wednesday night, and if you haven't already heard the scuttlebutt um, or listened to Frank pray, Wednesday nights have been transformed or are being transformed into a night of prayer. Because that's going to be the basis, that's going to be part of the foundation for who we are as a church. And if we will commit to that, then we will hear the Lord speak. We will hear, see the Lord act. And we will be blessed because of it. And so I encourage you to come on Wednesday nights. I encourage you to take part of that. That's also how you get to know what's going on in other people's lives. That's how you get to know what they're doing. Next one, or last one, last slide. So this is the challenge. What we've done this morning is just a quick overview. It's a reminder of who we are as believers, where we were, what he called us out from, that we were sinners and now we are saved by grace. That when that happens, that we are brought into the fold, we're brought into the family, brought into the church and that because of that, We have not only a responsibility to the Lord to evangelize, to teach, to obey him in all that he commanded, but we also have a responsibility to one another as brothers and sisters to do these things that we've talked about. It's not easy, not always fun. Brothers and sisters sometimes are just brothers and sisters, and all of you know what I'm talking about. 
sometimes they can be a thorn. But they are still our brothers and sisters, and we still love on them, and we still care for them because the reality is sometimes we're uncomfortable. Sometimes we're difficult to deal with. Sometimes I wake up in the morning, and I am just grumpy. And I don't want to talk to anybody, and I don't want to do anything, and I do things that drive Melissa crazy. And when I was a little kid, I woke up and I did things that drove my sister crazy, not because I really, but because I wanted to drive her crazy. And you know what? She still loves me. Why? I don't always know. But it's because we're family. We're family. And the same is true for us as a congregation. So my challenge is this. First, if you're not a believer, if you've never had that moment You've never come to that place in your life where you have recognized that you are alone on that island with no hope of salvation, with no hope of having a life the way that God intended you to have it, with no hope of spending eternity with Him. If you've never had that realization in your heart, I hope this morning that the Lord has convicted you. I hope that you realize that you need Him. Bible tells us that if you come to that point, then all you have to do is confess your sins, repent of them, which means to turn the other way. Say, I'm not doing that anymore. Now I'm doing this. And proclaim Him as your Lord and Savior. Proclaim Him as the ruler of your life. He will save you. He will make you part of His family. If you have not done that yet, then I encourage you this morning, let today be the day. Let this moment be the moment that that happens. If you are a believer and you are here as a member of this church, will you commit with me today and ask God to help you be the member that he wants you to be so that we can be the church that we need to be so that we can impact Vandalia, Missouri, and this world for his glory and his I'm going to ask the praise band to come back up. And as they do, I just want us to enter a time of reflection, time of response. Maybe you need to sit um, in your chair or stand where you are and just ask God to speak to you. Ask God to show you what this message is supposed to be for you and then respond. Maybe you need to come forward this morning and share with this congregation, share with this group of believers that today you have given your heart to Christ and you have turned around and walked away with